I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, Podditors. I hope you're all doing okay in this very weird time. Um, You're all staying safe and all your family, etc. are safe. This episode uh, that's going out today was one that I recorded pre-pandemic, so it was right at the beginning of March, and it is with Louise Troen, who was the VP at Bumble um, for their marketing strategy and has had a really interesting and cool career. And she's a woman that I met at a different event and heard her speak and just thought she'd be such a great person to have on the podcast to encourage us to think about what success really means, challenge the way that we change our careers and to speak up and, you know, really go for it when it comes to getting the kind of life that we want to have. So I really hope you enjoy the episode. And as always, please do rate, review and subscribe. Um, I'm also working from home with my boyfriend at the minute and I think he is on a Skype call or a Zoom call or whatever it is. So if you can hear him in the background, I'm really sorry about that. But yeah, enjoy. Bye. Hi guys and welcome to Adulting. Today I'm joined by Louise Trowen. Hello. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. I think the two coffees we had earlier will definitely be helpful for the next hour. I agree. <laughs> like chat, 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 chat. Thank you so much for coming to join me and having coffee with me and getting me really hyped up because I don't Absolutely. know what's going to happen now. Um, but for people who don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So firstly, thanks so much for inviting me on. I always feel so honoured and I feel like it's such a privilege when I get invited to speak on these sorts of things because I've had such um, a lucky career and I felt really fortunate in everything that I've done. Um, and so being able to tell that story and hopefully inspire others is always something that yeah, I feel I feel really grateful for, so thank you. Um, I'm probably most well-known career-wise for what I've just finished doing, which was um, working at Bumble, the social networking app. Um, I was the vice president of international marketing and communications um, for close to about four, four and a half years. Um, my job there was to launch Bumble in the UK um, and then subsequently launch us in various other markets in Europe and oversee um, our brilliant teams that we had in Asia um, and Australia as well. Um, I my, my kind of predominant focus of that role was go-to-market strategy, communications, um, creative campaigns, um, growing the team, scaling the teams. Um, and so really was, was in my dream job when it came to um, activating um, f- across various marketing channels. Um, but more importantly, I was working for a brand that was all about female empowerment. Um, so Bumble's whole mantra is encouraging women to go after what they want. Um, and that was something that I felt really strongly about in, in my identity. And I felt like I had done most of my life and throughout my career. Um, so it was such a, a treat to be able to, to kind of pay that message forward to, to other women. 
Um, and before then, um, I had been living in Los Angeles. Um, I was a publicist to some celebrities that you might know. Um, and previous to that, I worked in communications um, at a company called Freud's, which is one of the most, um, the, the strongest PR agencies in in the in the, in the world, really. Um, and and yeah, before that, studied sociology at, at Bristol. So really, have had a, a bit of a chaotic and, and messy career in terms of its trajectory, but. Um, I'm a, a real advocate of um, following your instinct and intuition in terms of your next step as opposed to crafting out a master plan. Um, yeah. It's an amazing career to have had for anyone, but you're really young and the position you're in at Bumble was very high up and you really kind of transformed the company from what I've heard of what you did. Like you really, really did bring them to the fore and make them what they are today. Like everyone knows what Bumble is, which is amazing. But I wanted to pick on because it was really interesting. You said right at the beginning, I had a very lucky and very fortunate career. And I wanted to ask you if that's imposter syndrome leaking out <laughs> or if you genuinely do think you've been lucky. I think it's a combination. When when I talk about luck, I really believe that you you create your own luck. Um, but but the luck that I received was people believing in me. So I was lucky enough to turn up at the right time in front of the right person in Los Angeles at a time when she needed someone to run the division and the team. Now, there's an element of that that I think is luck or, or coincidence, whatever you want to call it. And then there's an element of it, it that, that is about me showing up and me following that motivation and that drive and her being in a position where she could offer me opportunity. Um, but I think ultimately, yeah, imposter syndrome is, is very real, I think, especially for women nowadays. Um, I don't think you'd ever hear a man be like, I was so lucky mm. to be successful. They'd just be like, I worked really hard and I got what I, I deserved. Um, but I actually, I actually don't mind that syndrome in myself because it actually gives me the drive um, and the reason to kind of keep pushing. I think when you feel a little bit like the underdog, your motivation to become the overdog, is that even a word? I know what you mean. <laughs> the, the, the desire to be that, the kind of lead and, yeah. and, and quash that, that um, stereotype is even greater. Um, so yeah. what motivated you to go out to LA in the first place? Like once you finished your degree, what, what was your idea of what your career was going to be? Did you have any kind of foresight that you would be sat here now moving on to perhaps your third iteration of a career or your fourth even? Mm, no, not at all. And I think it's actually really dangerous for young people um, in terms of when I was at university, you know, you go or at school even, you go to a careers advisor. And these people have had no experience in any other role apart from being the careers advisor. So you're sat in front of someone that's like, okay, you're quite bad at math, so like don't be a banker. Um, you're quite good at English, so maybe be a journalist. And, and really don't have any experience of all of the wealth of opportunity out there from various different industries. I also think there wasn't enough education or understanding for me of the, the kind of plethora of different industries there were. I didn't even know that you could be an engineer when I was at university. Mm. I didn't even understand if you studied chemistry, the kind of different roles that you could do. I thought that, you'd, you know, you'd always have to go into like chemical engineering or, or become a scientist, whereas actually, you know, there are so many different opportunities with these subjects. Um, but at the time, I watched a lot of documentaries um, and I thought storytelling was something that I really liked. I had a big imagination um, and so just decided that I would try and go into making documentaries, whatever, whatever that meant. Um, and I had a friend's father that worked at a production studio called Pioneer Productions. Um, and they gave me a receptionist job. <laughs> so I was like organizing all the meetings. And actually the CEO of the company, I must have been like 23 or something, came up to me one day and was like, we love having you in the, the, the company. 
but I really don't think you should be here. And I was like, what? This is like my favourite job ever. And he was like, you're great answering the phones and your cup of coffee is banging, but you're a real communicator. And every time someone comes in the room, they engage with you. They want to like take your information. You know, these, this is a real skill. And he was actually kind enough to be like, I think you should maybe work in PR because it's so about relationships and storytelling and engaging people in your, your narrative of thought. So I had a little look at PR agencies and in like traditional me sense, I was like best PR agency in London because nothing else would do. And it said Freud's. And so I looked at their their client list and it was something that was interesting. And, and so I managed to just email their work experience email and, and get a placement there. And that's sort of how that started. And did you always have this kind of gumption and feel that you could do it? Because I feel like I'm a bit like you in that I will just once I find out I want to do something I'm like oh well look into that I won't necessarily go through the the rigmarole of wondering why I can't and in some ways that kind of opens up a door Mm. because you haven't almost gone through the loops like sometimes I get things because I don't go through the right way of doing it and I just go bulldoze my way in Mm. and in a funny way that can really work in your favour did you find that that was something throughout your career where actually just standing up and putting yourself in front of people was the best thing you could do even if you weren't overly qualified for it Mm. yeah I'm I don't really look at kind of quali- even the word qualification. It's like we 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 draft these specs for what we will need a job to be, and and we, you know, even today, it's like you need to have a minimum of, of ten years of experience. Now, if you have four years on the front line, executing everything to the nth degree with a team of fifty, and you're still twenty eight, you're gonna you're gonna be just as well, quote unquote, qualified as someone that sat in the back office but has worked for twelve years. And I think. The best companies are now hiring people on attitude, on work ethic, on creative inspiration, and actually Mm -hmm. all of these new terms that traditionally, and and still with a number of companies today, weren't seen as skill sets. Um, And I think I was, you know, in a position, especially at Freud's, where I, I knew that I was junior, and so I was really keen to learn. And there were a lot of people in the agency um, that kind of saw my attitude, which was like, sit me in every meeting. Would you be so kind as to spend half an hour with me at 6.30? And I asked every single day. I was like, can I see this? Can I have a look at that document? Can Mm. I? And it was just, it came from a place of being curious. Um, But ultimately I was there for a couple of years and, and was really, it was really clear to me that they had a, hierarchical structure um, that meant, you know, you get promoted every year. And that just wasn't something that I agreed with. I think inherently, you know, I I believe in meritocracy and people should be rewarded on their work as opposed to their time put in. Um, And had really embarrassingly just watched a lot of shows on LA (laughs) and was like, I'm going to go live my dream there. I wish I could say it was something like much cooler, but no. Did you find that working in PR, because it's a weird, I always think this about PR, but it's a funny um, relationship because you'll be working with clients who mm. maybe are really famous or celebrities. And I can imagine that when you're on one side of the fence, probably looking at numbers, the things are being sent, the money they're making, mm-hmm. maybe in, in relation to the job that they're doing. Do you think that gave you a bit of kind of vim to want to look out for more? Because I assume a starting PR salary isn't that great. And mm. Yeah, actually, that's a great question. Um I think the perks that you get with working as a publicist and in that kind of industry are so sexy mm-hmm. when you're that age. You know, you're going to these events and you're walking down. I was like, you know, doing premieres in Leicester Square and taking celebrities and getting them to be interviewed by like Now TV. And for me, that was like the coolest thing ever. So I was like, I don't mind taking a, a low salary. And I was actually living at home with my parents because, you know, on those salaries, you, you can't really afford to live in London. Um 
And I, I think I also had the attitude of like, I haven't, I haven't earned more than this right now. And it took me two or three years to get to a point of recognizing the value I was adding before I thought this structure and this kind of corporate environment isn't really for me. And I feel like if somebody really believes in me and gives me a, a, a greater space to have opportunity, I can do more. And I was, you know, I was just, I keep saying lucky, but I was, I was, I was lucky that a woman in LA, when I flew out there, British woman was like, you remind me of me and I'm going to give you a shot. And wow. I think more people should give more people chances. You So you just mentioned that obviously that you got to live at home, which is a, a massive privilege. And mm. I think that sometimes if, I think we're living in a, a bit of a duplicitous time in that on the one hand, everyone wants to be successful straight away. So mm -hmm. people want to finish uni and be on like 50K from the get-go. Right. Um, and because we see, especially people like influencers, who it looks like they're having this imminent success mm -hmm. or that, you know, they've woke up one morning and had it all. And whilst the annoying thing is, especially with creative industries, like it generally does take a bit of privilege to allow you to have that time to be on like a lower salary. Absolutely. But I think it is also important that uh, people, we don't try to champion this idea of being successful at such a young age. I mean, you are really successful at a very young age, but I also imagine that for you, you're still in the very beginning of your career in your eyes in terms of like what you're going on to do. Mm -hmm. But how I, I kind of want to push back against this idea that we all have to have done it all by 25 or... Absolutely. Because I feel like that's where we're at at the minute, like hustle culture and productivity and mm. grind and all of this stuff is becoming really overwhelming. Yeah, but also not assuming that people have done it all because there's a label or a title. So, you know, if somebody looks at me and, and says, to your, to your point that you just mentioned, like, you know, you're really successful for your age, that's probably based on the fact that I had a vice president title. I remember when they promoted me and I was like, guys, you don't need to give me, like, that's just like a really silly title. Like, just let me get on and do my job. Um, and I think a lot of people are like, wow, you know, you were the VP and and, and I kind of say to them, like, what, why does this title matter? Like, I'm not the president of the United States. <laughs> like, let's just take a step back for a second. Like, I really care about my job. I really care about my team. And I just want to deliver good work that makes me feel inspired and, and hopefully inspires other people. And, and similar to the work that you do, whether people call you an influencer or they say you've got millions and millions of hits on this podcast or whatever those numbers are, we need to stop placing them as people's identities and then looking up to those people in terms of inspiration because of that, people need to be inspired and aspiring based on people's outlook and their attitudes mm. and their visions, because those are the things that are going to drive you at a younger age. You're just going to feel unsatisfied if you're not a VP at 32, if you're completely focused on those labels and those titles. And it's something that I've really had to coach myself into, like, you know, why, why do you have to keep getting these promotions? And really all that matters is that you can live a nice life within your means and that people around you are kind and are respectful to you. And I think you're right that this younger generation, there's so much pressure to have a million followers on Instagram if you're an influencer or, you know, be a director by the time you're 28. And actually none of that matters. All that matters is that you have good people around you and that you enjoy what you do. Totally. Although I do have to say, Louise is being very... Um sweet because everyone that I've ever met so when I first met Louise it was like a couple of weeks ago and I was like oh I'm doing this thing with Louise Tran and they were like she is amazing and everyone I've ever spoken to I paid them from like my manager to someone that I used to like live above me to someone else they were like she literally transformed Bumble like honestly you're, you have like a legacy so you'll be oh, that's very sweet it isn't just your title I do think that people do look at you and evidently you do work really hard and you have really created a name for yourself as someone that's very worthy of 
Thank you. I think I think that's 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 super kind. I think I was given a lot of opportunity. Um, you know, Whitney gave me and the team. You know, there was a big team around me that was doing just as much of the work as I was. Um, and she really she really gave me an opportunity to lead and gave me the space to drive the brand forward. And I think one of my biggest pieces of advice to, to young women or, or any woman today is work for somebody that inspires you and that can teach you rather than the brand. Um, and I was lucky enough to get both. But now as I'm kind of exploring my next opportunity, I've turned down brilliant roles uh, recently, a big, big, big consumer brand, because I wasn't inspired by the person that interviewed me. And I think that is the most important thing that I have someone to learn from and that can give me the space to grow. And, you know, I think it's the same, I'm sure, for all the mothers out there that perhaps don't work, is that it's the same way that they bring up children, you know, giving these these young people confidence in the space to be exactly the kind of best potential that they can be. It's interesting as well, because a minute ago, you kind of touched on success, which I guess, um, interestingly, we sometimes don't seem to see uh, success in the way that you were deeming it, which is like, if you've got your friends around you that love you and you feel happy and everything's kind of in place and you can live the life you want within your means, Mm -hmm. that's successful. And sometimes we conflate success and the dream job as like one thing. Mm -hmm. So if you've got the perfect job, then you're successful, whereas actually all the other stuff could have gone to shit. So you could have the dream job in inverted commas, but be crying every day and like not feel very happy and be exhausted and Mm. I think that kind of holistic approach is coming in and we talk about it more but I do think for a time especially when I was growing up I do still think now as well it was about like no sleep that's what yeah that's what people who got it that's what they do and then you make a million pounds and it's like do I want to be a millionaire at 25 if I'm if I'm not happy, I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think that's more successful. Mm. Yeah, we we equate success with a finite figure of your salary mm. and the amount of designer goods you can buy and the nice holidays you go on. I know plenty of people that are earning big salaries that are depressed and alone and isolated and question everything and have to validate themselves through acquisition of material goods instead of sitting at the pub, me and you, talking endlessly like we do, which is really annoying for everyone around us, (laughs) about nothingness. Like that's actually what joy is. And I I, I agree with you. This glamorization of work ethic is really, really frightening. Um, And we talk about this work-life balance, like that, that... it, it can't exist. There's five days of work and, and two days of relaxation. So, in es- like in, in very in its very essence, it, it it doesn't balance out. So I think trying to figure out how. And actually, Vanessa Kingori from Vogue once said this to me, um, publishing director. She said it's about work life blend and finding a job that um, you feel passionate about and the people in the job with you inspire you so that. You don't feel like you're going into work. And at the weekend, you might see the people that you work with, this traditional sense of mm. do not, you know, hang out with your work colleagues because it's unprofessional. is just so archaic and, and ineffective. Yeah, and it's interesting because obviously, as you just said, like the majority of our time is actually spent working. So mm. it's like the majority of your life. And uh, we were just talking before this briefly earlier about how now we and you you said this two minutes ago about how your job becomes so much of your identity. If you watch like any dating show, any show on TV, it'll be like, Louise, 32, blah, 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 whatever your job is. So you have those three Mm. things that are your identity, Mm. your name, your age, and then what you do. And you made the salient point of saying, like, it's funny when people say, oh, I'm not, my career isn't my life. And it's like, but it kind of, it kind of is Mm. because you do have to have spend so much time working. And we label each other by their jobs. I'm Mm. always, it's a really bad habit, but I will ask someone, 
what are they like, blah, 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 and what do they do? Mm. And we make snap judgments on that mm-hmm. idea, even though, as we just discussed, someone could work in Tesco's and that might be their dream career because mm. it gives them that work-life blend. Right. They can see their family. They feel really happy and they earn enough money to to buy the stuff they need. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, t- I, t- I totally agree. And I also think, like... You know, there's, there's, and I, I want to mention this woman because she's amazing. There's a woman that owns the shampoo shop opposite me. She calls it the shampoo shop. That's not me. It's a hairdresser's, but she's like, come into my shampoo shop. I'm like, it's a hairdresser. <laughs> Let me rebrand your shop. <laughs> I quite she, like that. Yeah, she's amazing. And, um, and she's had it for so many years and, and she got offered to open, it's people queue to get their hairs cut, hair cut by her and she's fantastic and her energy and her aura is just amazing. You walk in and she's like, sit down on the sofa, tell me about your marriage, tell me about your boyfriend. You know, she brings out the wine. It's a real like community spot. I go there, like I get my hair cut like four times a month and she's like, you absolutely don't need your hair cut. And I'm like, please talk to me. Um, but she was offered various different um opportunities to kind of scale the business and she was like no I love the community that come in I make enough money to support my children and eat out a couple of times a week and I thought it was a really cool example of like more spaces and sites for her means more stress which means less time with her children which means less time eating out with her husband and ultimately those are the things that keep her happy Mm -hmm. and she'd really like She'd really considered her life and what makes her happy. And it was it was a real moment for me to recognise, like, we don't consider the assets around us that make us really happy. If I was to say to you, like, what are the three things, Knowns, that really give you joy? What would you say? Um, when it's uh, my family, but I feel like you have to say that first, uh, when it's not cloudy, when it's really sunny outside, right. fresh air, and my boyfriend. Okay, so all three. All three, yeah. All three, all three things. Yeah. And all things that give you, like, all that we want as humans is to love and to be loved. Yeah. So, like, why are we chasing these other dreams of, like, acquiring all this stuff to be successful? Like, it's it's more about what you love. Love, you know, they say love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life. I agree with this. And I do grieve wholeheartedly and fundamentally. And I was kind of talking about this before, about how I've learned that the things in life that make you happy are all the things that when I was younger, I was like, no, I always wanted to be that, like, live fast, die young, party, I'll sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> like at uni, I was like, I don't need to tidy my room. I was, life's too short. You know, I was like, so like that. Yeah. And now as I've got older, I'm like, actually, if you get up really early in the morning and you like exercise and like you do just feel a million, all the yeah. things that are really, really boring and again, don't cost anything, do make you happier. But on the flip side, we live in this capitalist society where there is a threshold of money that you need to earn so that you're above the poverty line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you can feel like you can think about other things. But then there's also this other element of, you know, as women especially, if we're able to create financial auto- autonomy and earn a lot more money, we can actually do... I mean, it depends on what the person is. But now I used to hate the idea of saying that I ever wanted to be rich because I thought it was really unladylike and I should never say that. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, actually, I would like to make a lot of money because I can plug that money into things that I think are really important. Yeah. Like if I don't feel like I can trust in the systems or the legislation to do stuff, maybe I can mm. do that myself by making a career mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. makes that much money. I th- yeah, and I think that's exactly, to go back to what we were talking about before, what we have the responsibility to do. Um, especially as women that were privileged enough to go to university and have that education and for me to live with my parents that lived just outside London. You know, I I see that as a huge privilege. Mm -hmm. And I have, just as brands have, as they become more successful, I believe there's a a duty and a responsibility when I get to a position to hire in people from backgrounds that perhaps hadn't had that access or spend time, um, you know, crafting programs or initiatives that can give women that don't have those luxuries time, space, financial support 
to come into businesses like the ones that I, I work in. Most importantly, because you need a diverse workforce to create work for the diverse community that we're trying to mm. reach, number one. Like, it's it's fundamentally useful for every business to have a, you know, it's bizarre that yeah. people are like, we have these quotas. It's like, well, you, need the, you need a diverse workforce to be able to represent what the UK is, which is yeah. an incredibly cosmopolitan, colourful, diverse, brilliant, you know, nation. Um, but I do think that women and men, you know, more men, to be honest, because more of them are in more successful positions, uh, a duty to to prioritise that. Um, and I don't think it's been done enough. No, and I I do feel like women, maybe because it is so late for us, I mean, it's only in the last 50 or so years that women really have been coming to the fore and the forefront of these industries. And I do think that that shift has, has coincided with women taking the lead. And I wonder if that's because... I went to a talk the other day that my boyfriend actually so I'm sure he won't mind me saying he's so sweet. So he did, um, <laughs> <laughs> it was for where he works, but he held like tackling the gender investment gap and he had five women on a panel. He just introduced it. And one of the women was like, do you know what? Um, we need to just hire more women, even if they're not good enough for the job, because mm. so many men have got into those positions through nepotism yep. or because they had the right qualifications or because they went to the right school. Mm-hmm. So she was like, I actually don't care now if I'm hiring women but if the, because she was like, there just simply aren't enough women yeah, I agree. who haven't got there. So she was like, I will hire someone even if they're worse than the man now mm. because we have to really change the system. And the reason that I'm bringing this up is because I think right now women who are at the top mostly have got there with a lot of struggle. Yeah. So they have a different attitude towards it's really they really feel like they've earned it and they really want to kind of play the rap like give back to the people mm. who haven't been given that accessibility. The only way to shift it for the next generation is to pay it forward. Yeah. It's the only way. Whether it's women, you know, whether it's any of the kind of minority groups that that exist, I think if you're in a position of responsibility or leadership, you have a duty to bring people in that can diversify your workforce. It ha- it has to be done. And if they are not as strong, training and support and chances need to be taken. I, I really believe you can train people in pretty much any mm. skill. You can't train people in work ethic. Um, and I think often you'll find that people that have not had as many chances as, as others have a much stronger, more resilient work ethic. Mm. I want to ask you, we've talked about kind of all your successes and everything's gone really well. Have there been any moments in your career when you've kind of felt really concerned that you didn't know what your next term was going to be or you didn't know if you were going to make it through or what have been some of the bigger hurdles or has it been quite smooth sailing? Um, Definitely has not been smooth sailing. And I would say right now is probably the most challenging part of my career, Um, which actually I've never said out loud till now. Um, I've sort of gone from job to job and I've been fortunate enough to have a job in place by the time I've I've left the one before or, or kind of felt that my time was ending or been poached from a, a company and moved across very smoothly. Um, and when I left Bumble at the, the back end of last year, I didn't have I didn't have a job to go to. Um, I'd been, you know, very mindful with with my money. So I could afford to take a couple of months off. Um, and now I'm consulting for various different businesses. But to go from working, you know, for over 10 years, you know, every day, and I worked you know, every day when I when I was at Bumble especially, um, to kind of having a lot of free time to curate your own sort of business for the time being and, and navigate, do I want to go into another big brand? Do I want to start my own business? 
You know, I can I can probably consult for a few months, but really my my joy and my real passion comes from leading a team and working in that environment. Um, and I think that can be quite unsettling, as it is for anyone that doesn't know what their mm. next move is. And I, I remember calling one of my my best friends, Tara, who left her job um, at a big sports agency a couple of years ago. Now she's a gardener. Um, and and saying to her, did you, did you feel a bit lost and a bit a bit isolated and and you know, after working with lots of brilliant team members all day, every day, and really getting that validation and, and love in the office to not having any, you know, we were saying this the mm. other day, I was like going down to my coffee shop lady being like, how was your day? How was your <laughs> evening? And she was like, literally go away. I have so much stuff to do. I don't want to talk to you. But I think it's, a, it's, a, it takes a lot of, it's taken a lot of training from my side to use this time really carefully to make sure that my next move is beneficial to my career but on the flip side of that having the financial pressure of knowing that I, I pretty much have to be or have to have made a decision by the end of the mm. month um and I think a lot of people go through through that struggle um and that concern that perhaps I need to take a job that is less than the step forward that I want um we spoke earlier I'm, I'm you know at some, in some exciting stages for some some opportunities I really want but they also might not come off and I have to be ready and and aware of that and and I'm sort of putting in place this plan b and plan c and plan d just in case I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today a lot of the time on this podcast, normally when I'm talking about finance, I speak to people who talk about how women are very risk averse. But it sounds like within your career, something that's paid off is the fact that you are willing to take risks. Mm. And as you just said, you haven't had a very linear trajectory when it comes to work, which I do think is kind of the modern millennial way. Like we don't tend to come out of uni and, and sit in a job and stay in it for the rest of our yeah. lives. But I do think that uh, you kind of know when the good things come to an end and when you're ready to move on. Mm -hmm. And I think that's maybe a really, really one of the most important things to know when it comes to careers because I think, especially as women, we think, well, I'm so lucky to be here and if I only just stay another four years and mm. maybe they'll give me a longer maternity leave, so I better not up and leave in case I want to... Mm. Do you know what I mean? And mm. I think that mindset can be actually what holds people back from traversing into a whole new mm. arena and... Was that something that you thought about consciously or did the opportunities just arise that allowed you to, to kind of job hop? Because that is that is quite unusual, but it's evidently done you very well. And I actually think sometimes people would do better just walking away from something. Mm. We do get stuck in the safety of it. As you say right now, the yeah. uncomfortability you're feeling is because you feel like you haven't got a stable income and you haven't got the safety of a community. And mm. I, think, I think the courage of your conviction is one of the most powerful tools that you can have. I, I I was really, really fortunate when I was younger to have parents that were like, you can do anything. And I was like, I want to play badminton. And they were like, let's go play for the county. Or I was like, I want to be a dancer. And they were like, go and do ballet. And then I got kicked out after the second session because they were like, you're so shit. <laughs> but they were really, really supportive and kind of instilled this mindset in me that like the only thing that is stopping you is you. And the only limit you set yourself is, is yourself. So every role I went into, and this was especially... 
um, relevant when I was in Los Angeles. I really believe that I had had a lot to offer. You know, I have, I have a lot of things, a lot of issues like everybody else. But in this particular time of my life, I, I really thought I was really good at what I did. And I really believed in that. And I, you know, I took a one-way flight to LA and I didn't know anybody in the city. And I, my parents didn't give me any money. I, I took out a credit card and was like, okay, I'm going to, I've got a five grand max. I'm going to see how I, how I go. And the, the clients that I worked with and worked for, they believed in me because I think I believed in myself. Yeah. So when they'd be like, oh, what should I do, you know, with this article or this comments come out or I'm launching this brand, you know, what should the comm strategy look like? I, I really believed that I was right. <laughs> and I'd had this incredible training at Freud's and this this sort of brilliant experience um, there that uh, because I've been exposed to so many senior thinkers, which I think a lot of junior junior people don't do. They don't go up to you know, the vice presidents or the CEOs or the directors and say like, hey, I know you're really busy on this pitch, but I really respect you. And I was wondering if you could come and have a coffee with me for 15 minutes. Everybody says yes. Mm. But we just don't have the confidence to do it because we feel inferior. In actual fact, you're not inferior. You're just less experienced. And the only way you're going to get that experience is by taking advantage of all of the knowledge around you. You're so, so Matt's very good at that. He does the exact same thing at work. He's constantly speaking, to, getting in meetings with people. And the weird thing I've realised is being freelance weirdly you do that because you have to because you have no mm. colleagues so you have to find people who are like mentors and be like how do I do this how did you get there and it's not got that same environment where I think you're right in a workplace environment you feel like right I'm the little person here yeah. I can't go up that's gonna be really embarrassing I'm just gonna keep my head down and I'll, mm. I'll slowly work my way up mm -hmm. but then you're not really setting yourself apart because everyone's the same cog in the system yeah. Uh, so I do think that's really important. I do want to ask you a bit about your publicist days in LA because I feel like you had some very fun clients. Can mm. you tell us about them or not? Yeah, sure. So, um, so yeah, so I moved, I moved to LA. I Googled a bunch of PR agencies. Like the stuff I did was really easy. Like honestly, anybody could do this. Like there was no special maneuver. There was no contact I had. There was no cash I had in the bank. I went to LA and I, I, I said, I worked at Freud's and, and, this is what I did, and these are the accounts I worked. And I was lucky enough. I keep saying I was lucky enough. I know. Ah! Um, I worked, I'll try again. <laughs> I worked in accounts um, at Freud's like Airbnb and Vodafone and Burberry's London Fashion Week. So I had loads of kind of big name clients. Yes, I was doing, you know, very junior stuff for them, but that kind of caught the attention of, of this woman that owned this agency. She was British. Uh, she moved out when she was 25. Um and I sat in a conference room with her and, and, you know, she was like, why should I hire you? And I was like, well, why not? <laughs> I mean, I'll work really, really hard and I'm quite nice. You know, I'm not I'm not one of these like bitchy publicist people that, um, you know, sadly the, the industry gets a reputation for. Um, I love to work. I really want a really robust career. And, um, yeah, I'm keen to do anything. And she was like yeah, okay, fine, you're great. Like, I'll sign your visa and I'll pay for you. I wow. think, yeah, and I think she, I think she had been around a lot of, um, a lot of people that work for the agency that were really looking to befriend the clients or get to the parties. And really, I was just like, I just want to learn and I, I want to grow my experience. And so the first, the first client I had, um, I'll actually send this to him, was Gene Simmons, who um, is the front man in KISS. Um, I actually didn't know who Kiss were, which is really embarrassing. She was like, they're a rock band. They're one of the biggest rock bands in the world. And he has just bought a football team called the LA Kiss out in Anaheim. Sick. And um, you have to go and launch it in Orlando at a press conference. 
And I was like, right, is this football with your feet? Or they were like, no, it's American football, so it's with your hands. So firstly, I was like, cool, don't know the sport. Cool, don't really know what he's like or what he does. Um, and I remember my director at the time, I was like an account manager or senior manager. He was like, um, oh, I've got, you know, my, my wife's having a baby, so like, can you just go on your own? And this was like week two in LA. I remember be being so anxious, calling my mum, being like, I can't go to Orlando on my own to meet this guy and to run a press conference and then a red carpet and then a dinner with the whole of Kiss. And my mum was like, you're just going to have to wing it. You're going to have to say you can do it and you're going to have to make it up. So, so I start Googling, like, press conference, how many people at a press conference. I literally just taught myself. She, Dawn, who was the CEO and my complete inspiration in life, um, was actually on maternity leave. So she'd gone. So she'd hired me and gone. So this amazing woman that I'd, like, flown on this way for wasn't even there. Um, and I rocked up in Orlando. I remember we were at this hotel and there was a Zumba convention. Um, there was a Christian convention. And there was a pet convention. And then, the, then there was this, this conference. Um, and I managed to get a, a, a press list off a friend of mine who does global PR. And I did my bunch of research. And I wrote these documents that I'd seen my, my bosses doing in, at Freud's. And I rocked up. And my, I remember my mum said, just make him like you. Just make him respect you. Go in with an opinion. And you know you're good at what you do. You've been around loads of senior leadership. And so I just did. And I went and met them all. And I shook all their hands. And I was like, this is what I do. This is what I think you guys should do. Like, this is how we're going to... I knew the format for, for doing this stuff. So, like, populating it with American football or this band, you know, I, I kind of knew how it worked. And then I just kind of used my common sense, which really most jobs are about. Like, if someone puts their hand up in a press conference room, you want to make sure that they're CNN or CNBC rather than some tiny Anaheim newspaper. Or if someone says, I want to have 30 minutes with Gene Simmons backstage to ask him about it, you know, my common sense was saying, okay, let's try and get it on camera because we know that broadcast is better than digital at the time. Um, and so I just started making these decisions. And as I made more decisions, more people just listened. And it was a really interesting experience in terms of like, if you can convince yourself just to do the best that you can and you can put yourself in an environment almost like, a, you know, you make it up and you're like, I have to do this. It can only go one way. And then and then from there, it sort of, it, it, it all went really well and we did the event and Jean fed back, you know, we think Louise is great and she was really professional. I think professionality is a big piece of this. Um and then I just started getting other clients. I worked with Paris Hilton and Nikki Hilton, Caesar Milan, who was a dog whisperer. He's massive in America. Um, was Afro he on Jack. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills once? I'm sure there was a dog whisperer probably, on that. Probably. <laughs> he is the mecca of dog whisperers. So, yeah. yeah. Um, worked with Afrojack and a, a bunch of other DJs launching their albums. And, and, yeah, sort of grew my confidence through all of those different roles. Um and I think that the talent that I worked with, we had a really mutually respectful relationship because I always I always had my professional hat on. I, I never was like, let's be friends. It was always, I'm here to do a job. I'm going to do the best job possible. And I think that attitude is definitely what helped me kind of grow a reputation of, of that. I think you're so right about the idea of being thrown into the deep end a bit because I think what can happen in jobs is there's so much hand-holding and so much, not necessarily hand-holding, but you kind of, because we get so fearful of doing something, you never know if you can do it if you're mm. not trying to do it. Mm. And on a very small scale, the kind of same thing happened to me with the podcast. I was like, I really want to do it. I don't know how to do it. And then I just one day said I was going to do it and that was it. I had mm. to do it. So I had to mm. buy a microphone, set it up and, do it. and then it was fine. And now I'm good at it. Mm. And now people ask me how to do it. But it wasn't until... I just was like, well, I've just got to fucking do it. Yeah. 
that I I didn't get it out there. And I think that's one thing with like careers and things. People do ask for lots of advice. Mm-hmm. And like we said, it's good to ask for advice, but sometimes you just you've just got to figure it out on your own. Yeah. And I get people messaging me all the time, even about like my book club. And I kind of think like just part of the learning and part of making it yours is working out how you're going to do it. Mm. Because if you kind of copy someone else's format totally. or you try and look at how something's been done before, it probably won't, it might not end up being as good as it would be mm. as if you kind of put it and figure it out yourself. Yeah. And then you'll imbue it with your own um, kind of personality. But I think we get scared sometimes that we've got to do it. And I think this is part of the social media kind of YouTube culture where there's a kind of tutorial for everything mm. in the world and everyone wants to know exactly where your outfit's from and exactly how you did that. And mm. I, I think that, that you've sometimes just got to wing it yeah. and do it the old-fashioned way and, like, not be so scared of things going wrong because in a lot of people's careers, and especially for me, like, so many things went wrong before they went right. Mm. And then when they go right, they just stick. Yeah. But people only ever see the bit that it goes right, obviously. Because that's all people talk about. Because that's the success. Because you're not going to see... Obviously, if someone writes loads of books, you're only ever going to see the book that gets published. Yeah. So you'll be like, oh my God, they got published. But for all you know, that's the 20th book they've yeah. written. I mean, I did a hundred things wrong also when I was in LA. Like, it's a, I really should, I'll send this to Dawn, but like, I should, really should thank her for not firing me. Like, as, as much as having loads of success and figuring it out in the end, there are always going to be ruptures along the way. And actually, your attitude to repairing that is so much more important. Um... I, I remember when I had a, a team, when I was working with the team at Bumble, saying to them, like, it's so much better if you come in and you say, okay, I've really messed up this event. This is what I did that was wrong. This is what I've learned. And I think this is what we'll do next time. There would never be a problem if someone's attitude is like that. I think when there's no accountability or responsibility taken for certain action, that's when it becomes mm. tricky because you're always wanting people to learn. That's all that this life is. It's just like banking learnings. That's why when we mess up, it's so brilliant because it's like you would never have learned that if it had just been been plain sailing. You're right. And I know this is kind of like a different thing, but there's a saying where it's like the only true apology is change behavior. And when it comes to mistakes and things, Mm. I do think that's the same kind of thing. Because if you bury your head in the sand, you're like, well, I'm just not going to deal with that now. You never have a chance to grow. It's kind of off topic. But I think the same with like cancel culture. I think we all get very scared of making mistakes because the stakes seem very high if you get something wrong. But if we don't allow for each other to make mistakes, what we're saying is you either get it right first time Mm. or you're out. And that's not how it should be. It should be that you get... Like you move 10 steps forward, you go five steps sideways and then you mm. go forward again and it's never linear progression. Mm. But I don't think that's the story we get, we get told these days when Seriously. it comes to su- success and everything is like, the stories that we get fed it just seem, I feel this is so silly. I'm 25, I'm 26 on Friday. <laughs> and I'm like, oh fuck, I've missed my window. Like I feel like, you know how really? there's like 30 under 30 lists and they do the like, yeah, but all of those 30 under 30 lists are curated by people who know people that work at yeah. those publications. Yeah, mate, but, do, but do you know what I mean? Think in creative industries, you feel like you've got to Why don't we do our own one? Why don't we do our own yeah. 30 under 30 for your podcast? Let's take <laughs> just, action just and, change, and change it and pay it forward. Honestly, all of these things are manipulated and considered and they're very smart about who they pick I don't think we should be worrying about that stuff. no I don't want to be worrying about it either but I think that we all uh, are also like looking up to where to get the this right idea of what yeah. success is and actually I think the why I want to talk to you as well is because I think it's so interesting that you like walked away from Bumble which probably at that time was like your biggest career and then mm-hmm. now you're like I've got another thing happening and then even at the bottom of all of that when I've asked you like how your work was your success was never driven from the fact of like as you said the label of your job it was the fact that everything together worked Mm. 
nicely mm. and made you happy. I'm I'm such an advocate for like believing that like life's happiness is just a collection of brilliant moments. So when I was working at Bumble, it was like, well, this is such a brilliant day because we've just come up with this amazing campaign and Jamila Jamil's going to be in it and we're going to help loads of women that feel lonely and the team are really inspired and then we go for after work drinks and then I'd get home and be like, that was a good day. Yeah. And like that for me, when I when I look back now, sat here, I don't look at my job title or like the interviews that I did. It's about all of those moments that we managed to help all these other women and, and men find each other. Um, and in the end, I'd sort of felt like I'd done everything I, I could for the company. Um, and the next kind of wave of leaders needed to come in and, and take that baton and, and take it forward. Um, and that's why right now is a, is a really interesting time for me because so many people have been like, can't wait to see what you do next. And I'm like, oh, my God, what if I just want to go and work in the shampoo shop opposite my house? <laughs> like, will people be like, oh, my God, that's what she did? Mm. Or will people be like, that's really cool. She just ended up doing what made her happy. I think that's, I guess, one of the things we haven't spoken about as well is that we, unfortunately, we forget to look inside us, as cringe as that sounds, and we base a lot of our um, ideas around success around how other people are looking mm, at us. Yeah. So, like, whatever label that can be. So, for instance, I might cringe if someone calls me an influencer, but if someone calls me a podcaster, I think it's really cool. Mm. They're kind of one and the same, and I do both things. But I'm so influenced by how I think someone mm. else perceives me. If I get a taxi, I never say I'm an influencer. So I'll say, oh, I work in journalism or something. Mm. But if I'm at a specific party where I know that they might think an influencer's cool, I'll say that. Like, I constantly <laughs> yeah. adapt. And we're much too worried about what other people think because realistically, I have the best job. I love my job. Mm. I've done things I could never believe I could do. I've things I never believe that I could speak to. And I never once hate my job. But then all of a sudden, someone asks me what I do and I balk. I'm like, mm. oh, my God, I didn't want to say. Whereas I wish we could just be like... I don't know. I think it's the question needs to be rephrased. Like, I, I think we, we look at things in the wrong way. Yeah. But also we, it's almost like we just project our own version of stories onto everyone else instead yeah. of look at reality. So like, I'll read an article on business of fashion about influencers and it will define them as X, as people that are launching podcasts, that have fashion brands, that do capsule collections. And then that will be the story that I carry forward and when I talk to you or a friend of mine, I'll be like, because you work in this industry. That's just a story that I've taken from someone else's story that's probably come from someone else. Yeah. So it's almost like we all need to try and just like park all of that, really. I mean, I, I love the label of an entrepreneur. I think in essence, it's someone that starts something and innovating and, and trying to, to start something new in their own space. And that's that's what you're doing and you've done. You decided you wanted to do a podcast about relevant and really cool issues. You did it. And it's successful. Like, really, that's just nice. what an entrepreneur is. Well, it, nowadays, you know, when we think of entrepreneurs, we think of Emily Emily Weiss at Glossier mm. or Mark Zuckerberg. What, why do these people have to be so successful? Yeah. It's just someone that does something and and it's brilliant. Yeah, it's so true. I do think, yeah, the definition of success as well, I do think it's because of the internet and social media and things. But we need to kind of, like, strip it back and mm. not have such big... Because also, it kind of feels like, maybe this is London, maybe this is my industry, but I feel like everyone is doing amazingly. Yeah. Like, I can't, I feel like I can't turn my head for another person being mm. wildly successful. And I think we forget to look at any of ourselves and just go, oh my God, look what I did. Like you said, that amazing day at work when you are at Bumble. Yeah. And be like, that was amazing for me. We never really know what anyone else is doing. No. But we do just make up all these stories in our heads. Like, I love being on the tube and I'll see women in their suits and I'm like, I bet she's a lawyer. Yeah. I wonder what kind of law she does. Probably saves people's lives. Probably and I'll be like, done her. in my head, I'll be like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I just made it up. Yeah. It's so true. But that's also, I mean, I do that still all the time as well. Like, 
you know, you see someone, I see someone do a keynote speech and I'm like, oh, I really want to be mm. like her. And then she's like, I'm the VP of marketing for a brand very similar to the brand that I worked for. And I'm like, oh, is that what I look like? Yeah. Because I so feel like a 12 year old that just like, you know, got, got lucky sometimes, but actually, I don't know, I, I, I feel like sometimes that way of thinking pushes us forward and inspires ourselves like to do better. Um, but I think going back to what you're talking about in terms of like defining success and career trajectory, like I think it's really important that you take stock about what makes you happy and what your hobbies are. Think about what you do in your free time that makes you feel really, really good. If it's playing tennis or if it's writing music or if it's reading and actually try not to follow this traditional kind of archaic educational system, which doesn't even teach us about moral issues or societal issues or kindness or any of those those pieces and, and try and lean into that and then look at the industries that you can employ that kind of skill set in as opposed to think you have to go and be a you know a marketeer or a doctor or a banker because there are so many opportunities yeah I completely agree and also but the, the other thing is in this generation is everything becomes a side hustle so I start doing something and the minute the minute yeah. I start doing it, I'm like I wonder how I can monetize this like <laughs> yeah. how can I turn this into a business yeah and that gets really scary but you're so right exactly what you just said then is exactly how same as you when I was growing up, no idea what careers you could have. I just thought everything, you would just be a teacher. So mm. if you did chemistry, you'd be a chemistry teacher. <laughs> if you did English, you'd be an English teacher. <laughs> Same as you again, went to like careers counselling um, thing and they were like, oh, you're going to be, my mum was a nurse, my dad was a doctor. So they are like, you'd probably be a nurse or a doctor. So I then was like, oh, right. So I was like doing four A-levels, trying to like yeah. get all the sciences in. But how weird that we trust those people. I know. And it didn't make any sense. And and if I if only I'd known the careers you could have. Now, like, of, I love presenting. I love talking. I wish mm. someone at school was like, you don't stop talking. You should maybe think about getting presenting. But instead, <laughs> I'm all my, paid all my school reports would be like, she does not shut up. Yeah. Like, they'd be like, really, really smart doesn't stop talking like not one point and sometimes I think you've got to look in the most obvious places mm. to find the answer so it'll be staring you right in the face that like you might be amazing at doing your makeup every day and then going into the corporate job and be like I fucking yeah. hate this and then maybe you should do you know and I think there's I think I'd rather in that scenario say you could have amazing makeup working in a corporate job that you hated I'd rather go and work in a makeup store work my way work yeah. up in a makeup brand do something to do with makeup mm. than go today to work every day in a job that I hated that people around me were like mm. wow she's really successful yeah because as we just said, that isn't what success is. I think, as Louise has said, your dream job isn't about the job. It's about the job that creates the dream. Yeah, yeah. But also you can you can really craft roles for yourself. And I also think that is often forgotten. Like, even when I... I remember when I started in LA, you know, the job was pretty straightforward. It was like, do reports, pitch in whatever we were launching brand-wise or collection-wise, you know, take all that content, put it in another report, send it to the client. And then suddenly I started thinking, like, why aren't we offering marketing services? And, you know, why aren't we offering crisis communication support? All of these people do things wrong all the time. Like, these are really great revenue streams. And then we can offer an integrated approach. Like, that just makes sense in my head. And and instead of just being like, okay, this is my job and this Mm -hmm. is exactly what I have to do, if you can take to the senior team, like, hey, this is a long shot and you don't have to listen to me, but I've thought maybe this would be useful because this client mentioned that they didn't have it. And actually using every day and access as an opportunity, any leader or any business leader wants to hear like, hey, have you thought about this? Because we could probably make some more Mm. money. And even if it's the wrong answer, that attitude, like I would encourage anyone who is in a junior position listening to this to go to their boss tomorrow 
and, and have a think tonight, like what else can we offer our clients or, you know, from a services point of view, go with an idea to your boss and I will pay 50 quid to anyone that is listening to this <laughs> that the boss comes back and says, that's a shit idea. Any boss would be like, that's a great attitude. Yeah. Like, let's have a meeting about it. But people just don't do it because it just hasn't been done. Yeah, and everyone's everyone starts somewhere. It's a bit like in the gym when you think like, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to do it. But the guy that's lifting, whatever, he didn't walk into the gym Mm-mm. and lift that weight the first time. Yeah. You've got to train up and you've got to believe in yourself. And also I think new, fresh voices, people are doing it more, but mm. we do have ideas. So I'll say something to someone that I think is more senior than me, not even necessarily in the industry, but just in life, and think they'll be like, obviously. And they'll be like, oh, I've never thought of that before. Mm. We do all have really different perspectives mm. on things. And sometimes you might think, your voice isn't important but a lot of the time like you just said it could actually be yep. exactly what someone needs there's also I totally agree with that knowns and there's there's also the point that there is space for everyone I think there's a lot of fear and angst at the moment especially with the younger generations of like there are you know on Instagram you're just completely bombarded with successful people you know doing posts or getting paid for things and it looks seemingly like everyone's getting paid to do everything and if you're sitting on Instagram with a hundred followers you're like but how am I going to launch this jewelry business from my bedroom when so-and-so has a jewelry business and has a million followers and I think there's something to remember that like every single year there's a new generation of consumers and there's a new type of consumer and there's a new need and there really is space for everyone. There are millions of or, or millions and millions of brilliant small businesses, and there's a demographic for everyone, and there's a specific pay, you know pay price point for everyone. And I, I really believe that like we have to keep generating ideas to innovate and drive mm. our society forward. So never feel like oh, but I've only got fifty followers, and I want to be you know an Instagram person for these reasons. And I'm not going to make it. If you have enough passion, enough focus, and you understand your audience, their profile, why they purchase, who your competitors are, what that landscape looks like in terms of monetization, you just have to do your due diligence. And you can get a lot of that information either online or from other accounts. But I really believe as long as we are all open, there is there is, and there should be space for everyone to create. Yeah, and another thing that I've learned is that you're never more successful than when you're only focusing on your own success because if you waste time and energy looking at other, what other people are doing as in thinking like, well, I'm never going to be like her or I'm never going to be able to do that. Well, they've done that. Okay, well, I'll think of something else. Mm. If you actually don't, if you try not to focus too much on what anyone else is doing, you just focus on your own thing, it will take off mm. and it'll get traction. But as you say, especially as women, we're like pitted against each other and we can't see the wood from the trees. Yeah. We're like, but actually, if you just focus you'll never do something. Someone could start a podcast called Adulting and invite the same guest on and they'd have a completely different conversation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter. You're ne- you're always going to be different from someone else and yeah. you'll always have something valuable to say. Mm. I completely agree with that and you do just have to like focus on yourself. Yeah. And, and success to someone, it's always different. It always means something else. Yeah, it's completely relative. But, and also it's relative to your upbringing and your experiences in life. And that's why I think Instagram can be brilliant because it can really inspire you in ways through content that perhaps you haven't had access to see before from Mm. from wherever you're from around the world. Um, But I think this sort of anxiety and this fear of like, ah, there's so much great stuff out there. Like, will I find a place? You have to just get rid of that entire sentence. Mm. There is a place for everybody on this planet. Totally. Sounds very profound. (laughs) I didn't mean like that. I mean more, there is space for more creative ideas consistently. Consumers will consume forever. And it's just about really dialing into what you're offering, why you're passionate about it. And and I, I really believe that anyone can be successful. Amazing. I actually think that's been a very uplifting and motivating <laughs> chat. Should we go and start a business now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> I think so. So if people want to find out more about you, do you, is there any any way that they can visit you? <laughs> I mean, I'm reluctant to give my address, but if you know where the shampoo shop is, come pay me a visit. Um, I'm, I mean, obviously, obviously, I'm on Instagram. Um, if, yeah, if anyone needs any advice or is struggling kind of in, in the midst of their career, I... I'm more than happy to kind of jump on the phone with people. I, I do that quite regularly. Um, yeah, L- Louise Troen. Um, I do not have a website because <laughs> I don't need one. Um, but yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing what your next move is. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.